0: The sportscaster and her son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite flexible conduit, electrically connecting our world. hello everybody and welcome into the sportscaster and her son where sports bridges the gap between the generations i'm your host peggy kaczynski 12-time emmy award-winning sportscaster at nbc chicago for 17 years and i am the baby boomer
1: i'm jason (laughs) canander writer for gojo bruna fan-sided (laughs) um and then in a couple weeks i'll be a student at ut austin
0: we don't always get along we are mother and son but we do share a mutual love of sports which really gets our conversation started Um, sometimes even when it's early in the morning right Jason (laughs) I know it's a little early for him as we uh, tape this episode in this episode it's the greatest season in Chicago Blackhawks history ten years ago the Chicago Blackhawks brought back the Cup to Chicago for the first time in 49 years and in just a few short days the Stanley Cup playoffs qualifier begins with the Blackhawks in Edmonton. Game one will be on August 1st at two o'clock Chicago time on NBC5, my station, and also WGN Radio. Game two, August 3rd at 9.30 p.m. You're going to have to stay up late on NBC Sports Chicago and also WGN Radio. And game three, 9.30 p.m. again on August 5th, NBC Sports Chicago and WGN Radio. Game four and five, uh, TBD on the 7th and the 8th of August. Jason, are you ready to see some hockey?
1: Yeah, I'm very excited for the season to start back up. I love the tournament format. Very, exciting, very- Rapid fire. It um, should be a lot of fun to watch. Not even just the Blackhawks, just uh, hockey starting back up. All the games immediately mattering. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited.
0: And, and the Blackhawks got some good news after Corey Crawford was determined unfit at the start of their little mini training camp. Um, and the way the NHL does it, you never know what it is, upper body, lower body, all of that unfit. We find out. He does go with the team to Edmonton and he is back with the team on the playoff roster after having tested positive for COVID-19. Corey Crawford is huge for the Blackhawks. It just gives them the experience and the the trust that those players have in him between the pipes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the goalie is sort of the quarterback of hockey teams. If you don't have a good goalie, you don't have a qualified goalie, you're not going to make it far. You don't necessarily have to have the best goalie, but you need to have somebody who's stable, who's an anchor for the team, um, and who can stop shots, simply put. And in the playoffs especially, that's when the goalkeeping is so important. In all of the Blackhawks' Stanley Cup runs, or three Stanley Cup runs in the past decade. They had absolutely above-quality goal. Goaltending play from Antti Niemi, Corey Crawford, Ray Emery at times. Um, It was just, it was one of the driving forces behind their dynasty.
0: Yeah. You know, Corey Crawford in 2010, when the Blackhawks returned to the cup for the first time in 49 years, they brought the cup back to Chicago He was actually um, one of the minor leaguers. He was um, able to watch and and see how the veterans did it. And now he's that guy that brings all of the playoff experience to this team. Let's talk a little bit about 2010, Jason. What what were you doing back in 2010 when this young Blackhawks team was making history?
1: (laughs) I don't think that I cared about sports at all. I was in second grade. I remember when the Blackhawks were in Philadelphia. We were in Billings, Montana. We were going to go to Yellowstone, and we were waiting for the series to finish so that you can meet us. Um, I don't remember much. I just remember being in the hotel room, dad watching the game, and just remember a lot of yelling and a lot of celebrating when the Blackhawks won. And I didn't really understand what it meant. Um, But looking back now, it's cool to be able to say that I remember exactly where I was, even though I don't remember exactly what happened. Um, And that was really their last championship that I don't remember.
0: Because you became a fan after that. It was the excitement that kind of brought you into it.
1: Not, not necessarily. Actually, it was more, I, I got back, I got into baseball first and then um, that was the year when I got into baseball was the year, the strike shortened season in hockey. So after the full baseball season, full football season, hockey season started in January that year. Um, and it was just so easy to piggyback on another sport starting back up, especially after baseball and football were done. Um, so obviously I remember the excitement. I don't really remember the excitement in the city because I had no social media presence. I had, i all I really knew was all my friends and my family. And, I mean, you only understand that much when you're seven years old anyway. But um, I, I know for a fact that this was the championship that kick-started the kind of the Blackhawks hysteria in Chicago that really drove the team to become such a prevalent dynasty in sports in the 21st century.
0: Uh, you know what's crazy is that you don't know how irrelevant the team had become. In Chicago. Not since 92, when they went to the Cup and lost um, with Ronick and Chelios. Did hockey even become front page at all in Chicago? No one covered the team. There was only one beat writer that used to cover the Blackhawks, and that was from the Daily Herald. Uh, TV stations didn't really cover the Blackhawks. You know, we didn't really. Uh, they weren't on free TV, so to speak. It, it, they were very irrelevant. And then came two players that were like the Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, what they did to the NBA, these two players did to the Chicago Blackhawks, Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. When they drafted those two players, that brought a personality to the team that was infectious. People loved it. People started watching. They started winning. It was an exciting style of play. It was fast, fast, fast fast-paced. I mean, it's pretty interesting to see how... Two faces like that and the personalities that they brought with them. You know, one was the leader. The other was the young flair. You know, it was like Bobby Hall and Stan Makita all over again. Um, but but how they were able to um, really make this team relevant again in Chicago. It's amazing. You you know, you couldn't even get Blackhawks gear in stores. Nobody carried it. nobody so sort car- of like
1: the White Sox now.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. So who, exactly. It's it's really interesting to see um, how they were able to do it and how, listen, I, I'll admit, I watched the Blackhawks when I was a kid. I didn't know hockey that well. But in 2010, it was like we were all learning, even as a reporter. You know, there are sports that you don't always have to cover. You're teaching people. So we were constantly teaching and I can only imagine the diehard fans, how much they hated that, stomaching all these new fans. Do you believe in that, that When there are diehard, like the White Sox for you.
1: Oh, absolutely. You don't like the bandwagon jumpers? I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, but how else
0: are you going to increase your fan base?
1: No, I'll tell you this. The diehard fans do not care about increasing the fan base at all. At all. Nobody cares about that. When you sit through multiple hundred lost seasons and so many consecutive seasons not even being above 500, you do not care about the fan base. You just want your team to be good again because every team has enough fans to fill the seats. It, it we don't need we don't need the 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 people who were Cubs fans in 2016. No, it, honestly, cheer for whoever you want to cheer for, but don't act like you've been there through it all.
0: Oh, see, I disagree with you. I think that there should be nothing wrong with you being able to recruit new fans to your team. You know that's ridiculous. So you don't want it. You don't want any new fans for you. Don't want people to suddenly say, "I like that White Sox team. I'm a fan."
1: Well, I don't want people to like act like they've been there the whole time. That's my problem is there's so many diehard White Sox fans who have stuck through the team with how many consecutive bad seasons there are. I don't want people to come in thinking like, oh, wow, it's cool to be a White Sox fan now, so I'm just going to be a White Sox fan. Like, no, no, that's not how it works. Not at all. You know, you can wear a White Sox shirt. You can do it you want. you can watch a White Sox game. I'm sure everyone will appreciate that. But do not act like you're a diehard because you're not. You're
0: not. Well, and that's something that the Blackhawks are seeing. They were able to light a spark under the city. Everybody was wearing red. Everybody became a Blackhawks fan. And now they're trying to catch fire again and hope that this Stanley Cup play uh, qualifier is going to help kind of reignite that excite- yeah. excitement for the team. Um, we should bring in a couple of guys who are a member of that 2010 Blackhawks team to talk a little bit about uh, that greatest season ever. What do you think? Let's
1: do it.
2: Here come the Hawks, the mighty Black Hawks. Take the attack, yeah, and we'll thank you, Black Hawks. You're flying high now, so let's wrap it up. Let's go, you Hawks, move on. Now all the
0: Hawks. All right, Jason, joining us. We've been talking about the 2010, the greatest season in Chicago Blackhawks history. So we had to kind of dial up a couple of our um hockey friends and actually a couple of players from the 2010 team. Former defenseman Brian Campbell is joining us along with Colin Fraser, former Blackhawk Center. Guys, welcome to the Sportscaster and her son and we are just reminiscing about the greatest season in Blackhawk history 2010. Both of you guys are part of it and um, let's start with Brian like you're obviously the Stanley Cup is the big, greatest memory, but when you think of the team, what comes to mind about that squad?
3: uh probably like the year before and that year obviously it was kind of like that group was uh, kind of together for a couple of years um i think it was just the camaraderie we everybody had you know we uh a lot of young guys i was older older for that team and i think it was just like we loved to go on the road we loved to hang out at home it was kind of it was always just a, a team that was uh always wanted to be around each other and you don't see that a whole lot especially uh Even in today's game with younger players, uh, young teams, they still didn't do as much uh, team bonding and, you know, going out and just whether it's going out for uh, dinner or drinks or playing, you know, bowling, whatever it is. It was always something that the the guys wanted to do and be around each other.
0: You know, it's funny you actually say that because I remember after the third cup win with the, the Blackhawks, I said, oh, my gosh, guys are married. They have kids. This is so different from 2010 because it was such a young team. I don't know if anybody was married except maybe Marion Hosa. I mean, it was such a young team. Colin, what do you remember about the guys on that team?
2: Uh, well, I mean, Brian hit the nail on the head. For me, the camaraderie was really through the roof. And um, Soupy, we, we, we signed him as a free agent. But if you go back prior to, if you go to the 03 and the 04 drafts, Specifically, the 04 one where you have Boland and Fickle. Uh, um, I can't even remember everyone who's drafted, but that was like the core of your team. So, go back to the minor leagues in Norfolk and Rockford, it was myself and Brower and Burstig and Bufflin and Boland and Corey Crawford and all these guys. So, you, so, we were friends even you know three or four years prior to winning it in 2010. So, we kind of had this good camaraderie going for a number of years, really. And, uh, I mean, Brian said it. You go, whether it was beers or meals or really anything, we kind of, for whatever reason, it was a bunch of good personalities. And everyone seemed to, to get along well. And we'd, we'd fight like brothers, too. But at the same time, we all respected each other. And everyone played hard and uh, played for each other. And, I don't know, we were able to kind of throw it all together and and win the, win, the, win the cup. I know I was only part of the 2010 Cup. But I like how you said it's the best one because that makes me feel extra special that it was better than the other two that the Blackhawks won.
0: Absolutely.
1: One of my favorite things about sports is hearing about like the championship moment of teams, whether it be in like, the regular season or the playoffs when you kind of know that you're going to win it all that year. So tell me about, like, did you guys have that moment? And if so, when was it? Playoffs, regular season, Stanley Cup final?
3: You know, I think for me and... and There's probably two times when uh, I felt that. The one was a regular season. We were probably 45 games into the season. We had a good team. We had a great team, actually. We had a really good team. We were playing not bad hockey, but we picked up. uh, Hosa had signed that summer, but he had shoulder surgery, so he missed uh, the first 40-some-odd games of the season. And then we played in San Jose. And I know call everybody remembers that if he scores on a breakaway, we're all sitting on the bench like, oh, my gosh, wow. Like, we, you know how good he was, yeah. but you didn't know how great he was. So that was – that was. he had two goals that game. I never remember anything about regular season, really. And I remember this time when he had two goals, and uh, we were just like, you know, this is – we're adding this guy to this lineup now. It's pretty special. And then – and the other one was obviously when we beat San Jose four straight. I think they were kind of almost like the Goliath. It was like, well, oh, this seems like they're better than us, kind of thing. And it, or we we matched up well against them, but to beat them four straight was pretty crazy in my mind from how they were playing in the regular season and the playoffs, and it was that kind of rolled into the uh, Stanley Cup Final series. I don't think we played our best hockey against Philly, but we were we played good enough um, to to get the job done.
0: Colin, what about you? I
2: think. uh yeah, for me. So I, I got a couple as well, and I remember that with Hossa, marrying Hossa moment that Soupy's talking about. And I mean, Haas is like the guy that whenever he talks about like underrated, he really is. And I don't know, he just maybe he's not because he just went to the Hall of Fame, but he doesn't really get talked about enough for what he brought to to well, every team he played on. And if you think about it, before the Hawks, he spent two years straight in the Stanley Cup Finals, and this is a guy that I feel very fortunate and lucky to have played hockey with, um, not only as a teammate, but but as a player, and um, to spin off that, the the moment for me was, in the first round, we've all seen this goal played over and over through COVID here. Um, Haas, or the whole story, really, Haas takes the five-minute major when we're down a goal to Nashville, then he comes back and scores the the game-winning goal in overtime.
4: Galloping off the last bit of time they've killed off. Tosa at the side of the net this is
2: three games to two. Chicago if we don't win that game I don't know if we get through uh Nashville in the first round I mean maybe we do but maybe we don't because it was kind of a big moment uh, for me with the confidence of the team and we scored that goal and Hainer scored the big goal to tie it, and it was like the rest was history for me. We just kept steamrolling from there on in.
0: I, I was thinking that same thing when, um, Brian, when you brought up Marion Hosa, I was like, oh, God, that was game five of, against Nashville. You know, when you saw that speed coming out of the box, it was almost like, I don't know if Pecorina knew what hit him. It was crazy, and everyone just kind of went, Oh, wow. Game on. Game on. This is what this team is capable of doing, because I agree with you, Colin. That series was tough. I mean, that was uh, it took a while for you guys to really get your mojo going in the Stanley Cup finals. Um, You know, finally, it was all really coming together. But I mean, round one, Nashville, round two, Vancouver. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy run. Like the Flyers seem to have, you know, on their road to the cup.
3: That Vancouver series is just like, I don't think we would have been denied. I I just, for us to lose to those guys would have been just the worst. Like (laughs) thing. like just to lose to those guys. It was like, it was almost in our locker room at that time. It was like, there's no chance we're losing to these guys. And it was because we didn't, we disliked them so much.
4: And the uh, conversation has continued. Now O'Brien who's one of their top guys now. Eager's going to drop the glove. Eager and Viexa. And a couple of others have paired off. Seabrook, oh, and Eager, a big left hand drop. Viexa. Viexa looking to answer as the officials are occupied elsewhere. And this one's going to keep going. Eager and, be and now, here's Duncan Keith along with Burroughs, and they have just about all paired up. Burrows seem to have a head full of hair. I think I of, hair. Adam Burris has got to get away from the linesman and get over where Duncan Keith and Burroughs is. Look at that, you keep pulling his hair, Burroughs, and there are too many altercations and too few officials here.
3: And we dislike their personalities and everything at both of them, and I'm sure they're all great, great guys, and you hear stories that they are. I think we wanted that more in the sense that we were not going to lose to those guys.
0: Wait, you did and not just first. say you think Burrows is a good guy, do you? I mean, come on! Uh, uh, he was like the biggest biter. Night. He was the biggest biter on <laughs> ice.
3: <laughs> you do hear good things about the team, and I know I play with Roberto <laughs> Longo, and, and he's he's great. So um, yeah, but I maybe won't go that far. But yes, yeah, there's got to be some good guys in that team.
0: Okay, wait. Can you please clear the clear up the story with Adam Burrish and the Sedine twins? One of the funniest lines I have ever ever heard, and I don't know if it was during the game that when you guys that like the the two the lines just went at it during the regular season when you guys were playing Vancouver. I don't know if it was during the playoffs. I can't remember, but the line when Burish has one of the Sedine twins and he says to him, "Your brother's ugly." <laughs> And they're identical <laughs>
2: twins. My my wonderful linemate that I was able to uh, <laughs> the joys of sitting with uh, on the bench for two seasons anyway. And he uh, first off he's full of one liners. So to <laughs> sit there and narrow it down to one that's funny that just wouldn't even be fair because he had lots of good ones. He's a pretty witty guy, right? We see him on TV now. He's <laughs> he's he's smooth. Uh, his delivery's really good. Well, the same goes for for on the ice too. Um, I mean, for me, it, me, Burn knew his role. He knew the type of player he was. He's a fourth-line guy. He's trying to provide energy. and He's trying to be a pest on the ice. He knows that. So we don't need to be a pest against their fourth line. He needs to be a pest against their top players. And now the Sedins aren't really two guys to engage too much in that kind of activity. But, I mean, any kind of edge or any kind of distraction or any kind of, I guess, momentum or whatever you want to call it, that you can create by... Saying something as funny as that or maybe not as nice or whatever (laughs) the case may be um it was part of the role and part of what burk was really good at and uh you can't even limit him to one i mean i couldn't remember exacts of other lines but uh he had me laughing a few times on the bench
0: oh it was great
2: you know it's the the
3: hard thing there too is like okay so colin's sitting on the bench he's got him on one side and he probably (laughs) usually had eager on the other side (laughs) So these guys, like, everybody wants a piece of those two. And Colin's like, he just gets dragged into everything. So he, I'm sure there's been multiple times when he's sitting on the bench, he's like, oh, this next shift's going to be a doozy. Here we go. <laughs> and Colin, he, tell you yelled a little bit, but not
2: obviously. You, you can't yell to the extent those two did. I wasn't as tough as those guys. That was half my problem. If I opened my mouth so much, I'd get my face smashed into the ground. I mean, not them, they, I mean they had the extra. They had... Uh, Oh uh, the Brian, <laughs> they had tough guys. Whatever yeah. it was, so I was. Uh, it was nice playing with both those guys. I'll tell you that. But at the same time, I kind of picked my spot with what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Okay. Point. It's Boyle. Ten to go. Boyle with a shot knocked down by
4: Madden. Another try knocked down by Keith. Madden without a stick. It's broken. Doesn't matter. Hawks to the finals.
1: So we talked a lot about like the chemistry within the clubhouse and the locker room. What kind of boost did the team feel from the city making it back to the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time since the '90s?
2: You know what you see. Um, obviously, we knew Blackhawks fans were great, and we knew we knew they were there, for lack of a better term. And they started coming back the year prior, uh, maybe even a year and a half prior. Um, they didn't make the playoffs. I think it was 2007, but starting to make a run late um, and you could see the, the energy in the building and it was selling out and the, the year prior to 2010, we go to the conference finals and now, you know, we're really, really starting to roll. Um, first round of the playoffs, I went out for dinner, uh, was my, my now wife and um, a bunch of us, I don't know, six, eight of us, whatever it was, it was Taser's birthday and we went to um, Joe's Stonecraft downtown and we, nobody bothered us, nobody says anything, but then we all get up to leave. And we got a standing ovation oh. leaving the restaurant after having dinner and we hadn't won yet. It was like the first round. Oh, wow. This is first season in April, I'm pretty sure. So the playoffs has just started. We're, I remember feeling like this is really cool, but at the same time, like really awkward. <laughs> 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 we got to get out of this restaurant because everyone's giving us a standing ovation. So it's almost like now you have to win because these people are just like, they're so hungry for it. And. They deserved it. And then obviously winning the parade in 2010, it was, I mean, I was almost in tears. It was something, something else to see that firsthand on the buses. And who knew that there's going to be that many people down in one area? It's, uh, it's crazy. Um, and obviously fun to be a part of.
0: It it was crazy. That, that was. Go ahead, Brian.
3: I say you're, you're also in a little bit of a bubble too when, when you're in the playoffs. You know, everybody else is having a lot of fun and you're kind of concentrating too. So, as as, as um, Colin said, like, then you figure out, oh, wow, this is great. Like, look at this, because you're kind of in your little bubble for two months there and not knowing too much what's kind of going on around. Obviously, you know people are excited, but uh, it's just kind of an eye-opener when you uh, start getting on buses and seeing the amount of people that were there.
0: I want to ask you about um, Taves and Kane, because you, you brought up with uh, Jonathan Taves and when you guys were out to dinner and everything – Um, Colin, you were in the minors when, when the Blackhawks drafted those two guys, what tell me the reaction, first of all, to, you know, you guys seeing these two young guys and then when they get called up immediately, um, what it was like to watch their contributions on the ice and the effect that they had on other players at such a young age.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, obviously first overall, third overall, you know, these guys are going to be good players. That's clear i mean they're drafted that high for a reason what you don't know is how good they're going to be um 18 year old kid like fresh out of high school both of them um taser went to college but they're so young and they make such an immediate impact on your team and they become your two two best players or two of your best players as 18 and 19 year old kids And i mean there's so much that comes with that more than just producing goals it's you know the maturity levels of kids and and uh and those two guys obviously could could handle it i mean they were fun to watch taser's first nhl goal uh, i think it was in colorado he's undressing guys walking through three guys and scoring the nicest goal you've ever seen and he's 18 or 19 years old here's a chance and a shot by tames and he scores he
4: scores What a debut for Jonathan Tames giving the Blackhawks the lead.
2: We all know what Keener's done. His whole career really hasn't even slowed down at all. Um, Again, I said it earlier with Haas, I I feel myself special, lucky, and it's the privilege to play with with players that are are that good. And people always ask me, like, like, what sets these guys apart? And guys like those guys and Haas and Duncan Keith and the list goes on their like will to win and their will to be the best is like through the roof. And you can't you can't touch uh, how hard they work and, and how good they wanna be uh, to play at that level. They're just motivated guys and they're motivated right from 18 years old.
0: So let's go to the, the infamous um, game winner by Kaner uh, to, to capture the cup and that brilliant pass from number 51. Uh, Brian, set us up. Do you even remember the sequence?
4: Taken by Campbell. Here's Campbell handing on to Kane again. Lots of head fakes there trying to shake Demon in. what it in front. They score! We saw no light. We saw no signal. And we're not sure if they've set a signal of a goal yet. But they are celebrating at the other end of the ice. What chaos. We have not seen a signal of goal from the referee yet. Patrick Kane with the shot. Oh, that puck is in. It. Word has gotten to the Blackhawks, what you have just seen. One of the more unusual finishes, but it's a goal. The Stanley Cup to the Chicago Blackhawks.
3: Not not right after I didn't remember it. I think I remembered it like, I still remember, I think I was doing an autograph signing uh, for... Uh, at like a dick sporting goods after it was all done, and somebody's like, "Oh, you write game-winning assist on the puck." I was like, "Who? Hit, why?" I'm like, I, "I'm like, cause you just... I don't know. For me, it was we won. Yeah, you know, can't score, but I kind of blacked out from everything else that was <laughs> going on. So I don't know. It was just a simple play, and calling those this is something that defensemen were always trying to walk the line and doing it uh, with the puck. So. Um, you know, should I have shot it? Maybe, maybe it would have probably wouldn't have went in. It's Colin knows how hard I shoot the puck, but uh, <laughs> passing it to uh, 88 is usually a smart choice. So um, he was calling for it. He wants it. It's amazing how great of a player he is in big moments. And, and when things are going the way they, they are, he just doesn't shy away from any moment that's out there. So um, obviously like, makes a great move and brian
0: that shot though it was like a it was like a yeah. sidewinder like nobody saw yeah. it go in it was it was a sidewinder. nobody it shoots
3: was, that nobody no. shoots the puck where he shoots it everybody else is shooting blocker high short side trying to get it in that little hole nobody shoots it where he shoots where he shot that puck that's the thing that amazes me is you know colin knows this too we all of us other players would have you know, try to sneak it in between his arm and stuff, but nobody goes five-hole like that and sees that spot, sees how open it is or or that, um, you know, and then everything went from there. Like, that's why I looked up into the – you're looking for the puck in the, in the netting above and the ripple and the netting and all that. So it, it, it's quite amazing, you know, like, uh, you know, how he thinks the game that way.
1: Speaking of the puck, where's the puck right now? Who has it?
3: I, mean, I wish I did. Come on! I never got to the bottom of that story. I don't know. Nobody knows. I, know I wish it ever I hope some. I hope for somebody comes out later, like in a few years here from now, and tries to sell it. At least <laughs> then we know where it is. I hope that happens, but who knows? So, I have no idea. It's so, probably. It was. A, they're probably using it in practice.
1: Still. So no, no one, no one like had had like the the presence of mind to just grab it and like like hold it. Like they I feel like in baseball they always do that with the final out. Somebody takes a ball and just stuffs it in their back pocket. So no that just it's, it just sat in the net.
0: Well they all went running down the opposite end over to anti Niemi. Everyone ran like skated to the other side. So it had to either be someone on I mean, the flyers so, or an to official. Someone had to take it.
2: Someone has it and the the storyline is funny because we were keeping every puck uh that we won the game, we kept the puck and we had a thing going with, with all the wins. You need 16 wins. And I think, I don't know what game it was, but Pronger took the puck on one of the wins game one, game two, whatever it was. So I don't know. The storyline goes that they took it again, but I don't think they actually did that. But somebody, somebody took the puck. Um, with, I don't know, Supi, it's not something that we were even really concerned about because we were having. No, a- I'm sure. <laughs> we feel not concerned about it.
3: If you, and I still don't think it's a Philadelphia play. Like, if you lose the Stanley Cup final, are you really like, I'm going to go get that puck so they don't get it? No, you're like, <laughs> there's no chance that, like, so, it's, to me, it's I, it's got to be an arena person to me that still has it. And um, and they've kept quiet. I don't know. Who knows? But right? if I was that, I'd keep quiet for a few years and then uh, see what happens with it. But, or they just, didn't even know, and they threw it in the puck. Man, I mean, it's, it's probably sitting at somebody's house somewhere, oh, and they don't even know it's a game winner.
2: I don't know.
0: That, well, that's apparently, that wasn't the only thing lost that night. Colin, what happened to your helmet?
2: My helmet. Uh, to, <laughs> that's a funny story. <laughs> um, I don't know how it came to be, but we're all partying and drinking beers and whatever, and I didn't even know. And then, so we get back to Chicago, and it's about a day two late, two days later, the trainers unpack our bag. Um, and of course my helmet's missing. Well, uh, turns out I get, I don't know, number of years later, honestly, like probably six, seven years later, I get this package in the mail and it's my helmet with a picture of Patrick Kane's buddies that were at the party, they had oh my. my helmet on. <laughs> one of his buddies oh. <laughs> took my helmet. And it ended up back in Buffalo with them one way or another. And I don't know if he felt that but he ended up shipping it back to me. So I I now have the helmet. It's at my house.
0: But oh my go. gosh the only thing that would have made that better is if it was on a cabbie's head or something that would have been even better
2: <laughs> yeah it probably was at some point who knows I know. oh. so i don't know cater saw these guys and it was like what are you guys doing like give the guy helmet back <laughs> honestly i wasn't concerned about it it wasn't something that i really ever even crossed my mind till the package showed up and then i had a pretty good laugh it was pretty funny
1: i want to ask about the upcoming NHL restart. I personally, I love it. I love that right out of the gate, the games are going to matter. In baseball, it's not the case. In the NBA, the games aren't really going to matter at the start. I love the fact that right out of the gate, we're going to see hockey that matters. So I want to hear some thoughts on the restart, Blackhawks' outlook, what you're looking forward to the most, and how good it's going to feel to finally have hockey back.
3: Yeah, I'm excited to watch it. I, I'm excited for you know to watch it August 1st. Um, three games a day, so it'll be a lot of uh, DVR and taping tape in these games. But um, Hawks' chances, you know, I was just thinking about their forward lines today. They they definitely have some depth up and down those forward lines, and um, moving Kabalik there to the third line. And I think you know you're going to see a, probably a better Kirby Doc um, growing into his game. Um, you know, it's amazing you've seen guys take steps from year one to year two, especially a bigger guy like that. Uh, I played with Joe Thornton and I still remember his first year in the league was not very good. And then the next year he just kind of took off and he's a bigger frame body like that. So I think it it kind of feels like this is going to be Kirby's second season. I think a lot depends on hopefully Corey, how he's feeling, how sharp he is. So believe me, there's, there's a chance. You you never know what can happen come playoff time as we've seen years through it, but um, it's going to be exciting to, uh, to watch the games. I kind of wonder if you can buy a one of those face signs there, like they have at the MLB games, and uh, maybe I could buy one for charity and put my mug uh, behind. Uh Behind the bench with the Blackhawks
0: or something. <laughs> that that would be awesome. Put the whole team, you know, the, all the anyone who won a cup, you know, let them put their face on it and put them on behind the bench. That'd be awesome. Um, Colin, what are we going to see? Are, are we even going to see Corey Crawford? Do you think is it possible for him to be able to get into game shape after he is with the team? He tested positive for COVID, but he was restricted on doing a lot of um, endurance type of things uh, with workouts because of the COVID testing um what what should we expect in goal
2: i mean i sure hope so i mean these guys are competitive guys right so assuming health wise um he's cleared by doctors uh he's playing whether you're in shape or not uh, you're going and and crossing your fingers and hope you get into shape really quickly because he's an elite goalie and you need him so uh, all season long the goalies uh, played very well for the hawks um You know, and it is, you just got to make the playoffs. I mean, it's anyone's chance. And I think I'd say all the pressures on Edmonton in the sense, um, finishing higher in the standings and they've had, uh, you know, a lot of rough seasons. They're starting to roll a little bit. They have McDavid, they have Dreisaitl. They're the ones that kind of have the pressure on them where the Hawks can just go in and play. And I think that makes it a lot easier. Um, As far as the whole setup, I, I give the NHL a lot of credit, whether you agree with playing or not. They've done such a, good job in my opinion of their plan and the testing and the bubbles and the all the due diligence that went into the whole thing I just I hope it works and I I hope it works because I'd hate to see whether that's the Hawks or any team uh, you know you're in the finals you're in the conference finals and whoa bam you just lost Kane, Taves, Crawford and Keith because they all have COVID. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a pretty tough situation and that's what I hope doesn't happen and then a team wins because the other team lost seven players um obviously you can't control that and we're in a weird time uh in the world but uh at the end of the day i will be sitting and watching not just the blackhawks but i'll be watching a lot of hockey here going forward and i'm excited to, to be a fan of it
0: and the blackhawks stanley cup qualifier begins against edmonton august 1st the third and the fifth games four and five on the seventh and the eighth. You can catch the opening game on the first on NBC five here in Chicago, all the games on WGN radio as well, before I let you guys go and thank you so much for taking the time to help us uh, reminisce about 2010. Um, Brian, bring us, bring us up to date on what you're doing these days.
3: Uh, I'm doing some, I'm working with the Blackhawks doing player development. Uh, so I'm in Rockford quite a bit with the minor league team, obviously, uh, Things aren't uh, really happening there right now. Uh, so that's a little disappointing, but um, it's been fun to help out the prospects there. I've, I've done a lot of work with uh, Adam Boquist, which has been uh, pleasant, and, and it's been nice to see how he's transitioned to the NHL. Um, you know, now working with these, uh, some of these younger guys, just trying to hopefully get a couple steps uh, that I had to take extra. You know so maybe they can miss a couple steps and and get in the blackhawks lineup a little quicker so uh really enjoyed it really- w- enjoyed working with uh the coaches in rockford and um that's uh that's what I'm
2: doing at these days
0: and I love when you're doing your your hits on blackhawks t v as well it's it's awesome Colin what are you doing these days
2: yeah i'm I'm also uh back in the blackhawks family um post-retirement here. I'm a Western amateur scout for the team. This is uh, two years I've been doing it. I retired about four years ago for two years. I was kind of trying to find my way and I reached out to, to the Blackhawks and they were able to um, add me back into the family for lack of a better term and uh, I'm happy to be part of the Blackhawks again. So I'm same as uh, Soupy, not doing much right now as all the junior leagues shut down uh, in March. Um, so, you know, we've been doing some video and be doing other things to prepare for the draft but the draft now being in October we still have a, a lot of, a lot of time left to, to get ready for that and then who knows what kind of the fall and it looks like they for junior hockey we're still trying to wait to see what they sort out uh, based on on what COVID brings so but that's it uh the Hawks take care of their alumni and, and uh I think it's you know, to be a part of a championship team there, hopefully we can help them bring another one to through player development and myself through uh, finding these players to, to send to Supi to work with. It.
0: it would be great. And it's been great catching up with you guys, Colin Fraser and Brian Campbell. Thank you guys so much. Um, have a great rest of your summer. Enjoy the Blackhawks with the qualifier and the Stanley cup finals this summer.
3: I appreciate Good you guys time. having me. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Thanks you guys. And we didn't even get to talk about my hole in one, Brian.
3: I I know I was going to bring that out saying that I was golfing and you got a hole in one. But... Wait, 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 wait! I, I have
1: something to add. I just wanted to say that my mom has been golfing like seriously for like maybe three years now and my dad has been a member at Medina his entire life and does not have a hole in one at Medina and now my mom in like literally her third summer of shooting sub 100 golf has a hole in one. I, I find that hilarious.
0: I don't find it very funny. <laughs> I haven't, I don't have
3: one yet. What? I'm jealous. No, I don't.
0: I went from, Brian, I went from, I was a 23 handicap last year, started out this year as an 18. Now I'm a 15 and I shot an 80 with my hole in one. And she
1: won't play with me for money.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to play her for money.
0: (laughs) Hey, thanks you guys. Seriously. Thank you. Have a great summer. Okay. Okay, Jason, time for your predictions. Okay,
1: so before I say my predictions, I want to just say there was such an easy prediction that I missed, and it came true today. Um, So today, the Miami Marlins had 14 players in staff test positive. That was so predictable. That was so predictable, and I'm so upset that Major League Baseball, just, I I don't know if they assumed it wouldn't happen. I don't know if they thought that by the will of God, they'd be able to have a 60-game season and not... This was so predictable and so foreseeable and I'm so upset that I didn't predict this because now, what, like, what happened? And it's just it's ridiculous. I, I don't have I do not have enough words to describe how annoying it is from a fan standpoint to see the NBA can can procure this bubble, the NHL can procure a bubble, but the MLB Players Association was so damn against a bubble. And now we are three games into a season and one team is going to have to field a team tomorrow of all guys who have not played in a major league baseball game before. And half of their staff who have not coached in major league baseball games before and major league baseball shot themselves in the foot. They shot themselves in the foot. So, um, anyway, onto my three predictions. Um,
0: <laughs> you just had to get that off. The top.
1: <laughs> I'm going to say that the NBA finishes their season easily. Um, It's been so far so good in the bubble. There was the incident with Lou Williams leaving and then going to Magic City, which has become a big joke on Twitter, but it's really not funny. It's really not funny because if he sneaks back into the bubble and doesn't tell anyone that happened, you're putting lives at risk. So I'm going to say that NBA caught that early enough. It's not going to happen again. NBA is going to start and finish the season. It will be a lot of fun. Okay, Um, my second prediction, I'm going to say that I'm going to back up on my prediction last episode and say that there will be a college football season, but it'll be abbreviated and not everyone's going to play. I think that some conferences are going to play, some won't. Um, Some teams are going to have to cut through season short. It won't be an authentic college football season, but we'll still see guys out in the field hitting each other and catching passes, so that excites everybody. Um, And then finally, I'm going to say this is a non-sports prediction. I'm going to say that... the majority of us that are going away to school are back home by Columbus Day. I do. I just the more I think about it, the less doable I think that school is because you are bringing, in my case, thousands of people, 45,000 people into one area and you can test them all you want, but you're not going to be able to control what people do when they are not obligated to be in class at that time. People are going to leave the the cities or the college towns. People are going to go home. People are going to do things that their well-being and, and therefore the well-being of their roommates and people living in their dorms and people that go to the school people at the shops that they go to the restaurants everything putting everybody's lives and well-being at risk I just don't think it's doable there are way too many moving parts and if you're having a hard time getting professional athletes to listen you're going to have a really hard time getting college students to listen so that's my final prediction it sucks it's sad but I'm just going to be straight up and be realistic and I really hope I'm wrong on this one I really hope I'm wrong on this one, but I just don't think it's possible.
0: Wow. I mean, I don't even know what to say. That just gave me a... That's a bummer. I I hate the idea of you coming home in October. Thanks.
1: (laughs) So ready to get me out of here. Okay.
0: Here's my final thoughts. You know, I I told you this before. I grew up watching the Blackhawks on a little black and white TV that was in our kitchen, um, our family kitchen on Odell Avenue, northwest side of Chicago. I remember specifically Saturday night games. I'm not sure why I remember that, but um, I think they were on WGN TV and you would wait to see... Bobby Hull and Stan Mikita, uh walking up these steps that were from the lower bowels of the old Chicago Stadium, where their locker room was, up to the ice. Tony O would already be out there in net for warm-ups. Uh, there was so much drama to it with the music, the Blackhawks song playing and everything. I didn't understand the game, but I loved the speed of it, the fast pace. It was the middle of winter in Chicago, and it gave you something to cheer for. Then hockey kind of just went away, like we were talking about. For so many in Chicago, it became so irrelevant until 1992. Chelios and JR, Jeremy Roenick. It became uh, personality-driven again with a really good team. Um, They helped sell the game of hockey again. But – Eighteen years, then of mediocrity again, and it hurt the franchise. And they came back; they rose up from like a phoenix from the ashes, thanks to Taves and Kane, Adam Burrish, Patrick Sharp, Campbell, Bufflin, and and once again, we were all watching the games with the family. And that's what sports is supposed to do. Give you memories, give you something to cheer for, take you away from whatever else is going on in your life. It's it's your escape. And that family time has been so precious to all of us growing up because you get to watch your kids become a fan as well. And so with sports returning, and at least them trying to return during COVID, my hope is that it is here to stay My hope is that it brings families together again, gives them things to talk about, gives Jason and I something to talk about on the phone when he's away at college, and um, makes some new fans of maybe some new teams and maybe a new sport as well. So thank you to the Chicago Blackhawks because that's what you did for us as a family. And now you can get back to winning. Thank you to the Chicago Blackhawks, Brian Campbell. You can find him on Twitter at bcampbell underscore 51, also on Blackhawks TV, and to Colin Frazier as well, uh, also working as a Western Amateur Scout uh, for the Blackhawks. Thank you so much for helping us look back on the greatest season ever.
1: Thank you all for listening. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google, SoundCloud, Spotify. Tune in and wherever you listen. A reminder, if you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to writethispodcast.com slash sportscaster and follow the simple instructions.
0: And don't forget to tune into the Blackhawks qualifier with the Stanley Cup against Edmonton beginning August 1st, 2 o'clock on NBC5 in Chicago. WGN Radio will carry all of the games. Game 2 is on August 3rd, Game 3 on August 5th, and Game 4 and 5 if needed on the 7th and the 8th. NBC Sports Chicago and WGN Radio will carry Games 2 and 3, and the rest will be determined. Go Blackhawks, and thank you for joining us, everyone. Go
1: Hawks. Thank you.
0: The sportscaster and her son is brought to you by ElectroFlex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, makers of liquidite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world.
4: Here they come, moving, weaving, flying and throwing spray. Waves, flashing, sticks, crashing, trying
2: for the play. And the pl-